Um, I'm Amy Boss Henniger, and some of you were here yesterday, and some of you are joining us today, so we're happy to have all of you here. So this is a um, three-day panel discussion, and each day we have different people up here, but we're from two different congregations on two ends of the continent. I'm from the Manhattan Church of Christ in New York City, and my mom is from the Culver Palms Church of Christ here in Los Angeles. And these are two congregations that have made the, have, have traveled the journey from being a traditional, the traditional Church of Christ, uh, well, it's not just Church of Christ, but we'll, we'll stick with our, with our heritage, um, structure regarding um, uh, gender hierarchy to a place of, of full inclusion across all of church life and leadership, uh, men and women working in equality together. And we've just asked a number of people each day from our respective congregations to share really whatever is on their heart um, to try to uh, give a little bit of a model, a, a little bit, put a little bit of um, um, concrete examples before you of churches that have traveled this journey and how it's looked and what's gone well and what's been hard and what was um, surprisingly easy and what was much more complicated than they anticipated and all all of that so we're glad you're here um, i do want to say quickly before we start that from our panel yesterday tom robinson who is the senior minister at the manhattan church um, gave out some material from first corinthians that if you didn't get that and you would like it, we'll put it on manhattanchurch.org. Is that, is that the place to go? Yeah, manhattanchurch.org sometime in the next couple of days so you can, can uh, get, get that PDF if you didn't get that. So that's um, important to know, and I hope you will be back with us again tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going to focus a little more um, on youth ministry and, and looking, looking at the next generation and, and, and other, other parts of this journey. So... Without further ado, my mom's going to open us in prayer, and then we'll start with our panelists today. Uh, let us pray together. Dearest God, we thank you for this day, this present moment, and we invite you to be part of this conversation, oh God, and we know you are here with us. We lean on you. You are the good shepherd, and we are your sheep, and we want to walk in your path, O oh God. Be with all the different congregations that are represented, represented here, wherever they may be on their journey. Please bless them, encourage them, Help them to find their way to stay on the path. And may we look to you, dear God. May we lean into you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. You know, several comments were made yesterday and I, just about where people are on their journey and some people saying, you know, it's just the very beginning, and others saying, you know, people are just leaving, which we found true, when you begin to study something like the fact whether women can really participate as leaders 
or as, as ministers. And, but I think that there's some good things in those stories that we found. And I'm, I'm reminded of an article I read about someone telling you, well, what's it like to pick up a, a cat by the tail? <laughs> well, you can tell them, but it's really when they experience it that they understand what it's like to pick up a cat by the tail. And what we found at Culver Palms is that when we allowed women to begin to give communion devotionals, to preach, and now to be shepherds, the voices of women changed the whole uh, congregation. And there were people that when we began that said, we will have nothing to do with this. At the very beginning, over 20 years ago, we had two services and they could go to either one. So they would go to the one where women were speaking publicly. And, but as time went on, they heard about the other and they would sneak in there and they started going to that service. So I just want you to be encouraged as we listen to these voices today. Remember the cat by the tail. I have never held a cat by the tail, yeah. but I have heard women preach. Um, and with that, <laughs> I'm gonna ask each, each of our panelists, um, we, Dana and Mark are from Culver Palms, and Carl and Julie are from the Manhattan Church, and I'm gonna ask each of you to briefly introduce yourselves um, remind everyone what church you're a part of, a little bit about who you are briefly, and then they're all just talking from their own perspectives, their own experience, and what they would like to share, what they think is important for, for others to hear as they consider this journey. So we'll start with Dana. Hello. <clears throat> I'm getting over a cold, so I will try not to cough into the microphone. My name is Dana Nicholson. I have been a member for the vast majority of the time since 1993 at Culver Palms. I started attending there right after college. Um, I took a four-year break to go to law school. So I am also, I'm a practicing attorney. And as a practicing attorney, I have to say that the opinions I am expressing here today are my own <laughs> and cannot be attributed to anyone else. Um, I have served as a ministry leader in various capacities at Culver Palms um, early on, working with the young adults. Um, later, uh, my husband and I were the, actually the um, ministers at one point for the, um, the Crossing, which was the young adult singles ministry for a couple of years. And um, I, I have also been in a position that was not really a formal position, but sort of an administrative ministry leader where I have put on ministry fairs and workshops and sort of tried to bolster the, um, the organizational structure and give the ministry leaders uh, support and help them sort of with brainstorming and things of that nature. Um, and my interest here today sort of in church, the things that I like to do in service and my interest about what I want to talk about today is really about organization and process. So. I have notes because I'm going to go through sort of our history and I can't, I didn't memorize it. Um, <clears throat> so the too, uh, too Long Didn't Read 
a narrative is Culver started talking about women's roles in the mid-70s and over many, many years and many, many different periods of study um, and different decisions, we have moved forward in gender inclusivity until 2018 where we became fully inclusive with um, female elders. Now I'll give you the longer version. Um, as I said, in the mid-70s was when the first study of men and women from sort of a biblical perspective, what are the roles, how, how do they interact, how do they behave at church, or how might they behave at church and, and lead and serve, started taking place. That percolated for about 20 years with no real changes, but it was something that was a constant um, theme and, and things that people were talking about. So when I started in 1993, um, right after college, women were not, were not participating in the public worship broadly or, or in the formal worship, but there were a lot of, there were in a lot of roles and they were doing many things um, in unofficial leadership capacity and you know, giving announcements and sometimes giving testimonies and things like that, things that I, growing up, had not seen um, in my traditional Church of Christ background. Um, at Pepperdine, I had seen a lot of that, but, but not, um, not really to the extent even as it was at Culver when I, when I started going to Culver. And I attended a weekly Bible study at the Boss Home, and I was still very uncomfortable praying out loud in a mixed group. That was not something I had, had done as a child or seen as a child uh, women do. And it was something that I really had to work on. And I, had to, I knew it was the right thing to do. And so I had to force myself to do it, even though it was very uncomfortable. Um, I still don't do it that often. Um, <clears throat> but, but I was able to practice that in a safe environment where people were supportive and no one you know, criticized my prayer or anything like that. And, and and that was a safe place to sort of take that first baby step, just of praying out loud in a group. Um, at some point, and, and you might know the answer, I'm not sure exactly when, at some point in the mid-90s, Culver dropped the concept of deacons and went to the concept of ministry leaders. I think that was about 95, I don't exactly remember. But that was another, another place where uh, women sort of got the opportunity to take a step up and become more formal, more formally called to be leaders um, because we didn't have the deacon structure and we didn't get into the semantics of whether ministry leaders could be men or women. Um, and so the women who were already running the education programs and doing, doing all kinds of other things were able to step into those roles and be named ministry leaders. And we had a sort of complicated structure of ministry leaders. There were quite a few of, more than you might normally have of deacons. Um, and the structure changed over time, which is interesting to me. I won't get into that. Um, but but that, that was the mid-90s that, mid that, that that occurred. And it's only recently that we have gone back to deacons. So in the fall of 95, the elders and Matt, our preacher, began a formal study, just the elders and Matt began a formal study of women's roles. They, that took a year, so they studied for about a year. In the fall of 96, we began informal conversations between the eldership, Matt, and the members. That took another six to eight months. In the spring of 97, the elders sort of made a decision, sent a letter to the congregation, and laid out first what 
things women had already been doing in Culver, at Culver Palms in the last 20 years. It's a list of 24 items. I won't read them all, but it includes teaching in various classes, teaching Bible studies, serving as supervisors and coordinators, paid ministry staff, ministry leaders. Um, does not include, again, formal participation in the worship service, so formal preaching, serving on the, the table, leading prayers, that sort of thing. In addition to the 24 things that women had been doing, the elders laid out for us seven things that they thought women should be able to do. Yeah, if you want to take that one. I will read this one. So it says, we, based on our study, we believe the following practices are permitted by the scriptures. Serving communion at the Lord's table, participating in a worship team to facilitate congregational singing, making the formal announcements in the assembly, reading the assigned scripture in the assembly, leading the congregational prayer in the assembly, baptizing converts, and serving as deacons of the congregation. So as I said, this study started in the fall of 95. Informal conversation started in the fall of 96. We got this letter from the elders telling us what they thought could happen in the spring of 97. And then we had some more study. We kept talking. And so in the summer of 97, we had a sermon series. We had adult Bible classes, care group discussions, Sunday evening panels. We talked and talked and talked. And this process, I, don't, I, I wasn't part of the decision making, so I don't know how it was decided that this is the process that we can follow, should follow. For a lot of us, it was painful because it was taking so long and we wanted to just get to the end. But I think it, there was wisdom there because it brought a lot of people along who might not have been brought along if in the fall of 95, the elder said, okay guys, this is what we're gonna do, this is the changes we're gonna make, go. And so, while it was painful for me and others, I think it, it was the right thing to do for our church at that time. Um, finally, in 1998, so three years later, <laughs> um, the final sort of, this is what we're gonna do was decided and uh, the service was opened up, as she mentioned, we went to two services so that the people who weren't quite ready could still not be ready, but stay, stay at Culver. Um, where we were serving communion, teaching adult classes, doing everything on that list that I read, except for we did not name women deacons at that time. We kept the ministry leader structure. So that was 1998. I went to law school in 99, left for a few years, came back in 03, things were chugging along. Not a lot of change. Some people were still uncomfortable with the change that had occurred. Some people were still chomping at the bit. It wasn't, it wasn't far enough. Other people were in the middle saying, I don't know what the problem is. Let's go talk about something else. Um, there had been an informal expansion on the list to communion meditation and testimonies in the service, but there had not been formally recognized preaching by females at Culver Palms in 2003 when I returned. Ten years later, some opportunities came up, and some of us said, hey, there are these women, they want to preach, we've got a pulpit, can we bring them? And I thought it was going to be a no-brainer. Well, of course, women have been doing all of these things, they've been te teaching, of course they can preach. I was wrong again. Um, we submitted these requests, and the elder said, okay, let's study this. <laughs> and so 
we started talking about it again, another period of study. Mercifully, not a three-year period, um, but, but a number of months until, um, I would say it was probably just, just close to a year when we, when we sort of went through another round of study, another round of discussions, and said, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna let women have the pulpit, and we're gonna call it preaching, which in my mind, they had already been doing that. Now we were just calling it preaching. Um, and you know what, we lost some members at that time. Every time this hap these, these decisions were made, we lost some people. I'm confident we lost people along the way because we weren't going fast enough for them. I don't know that, uh, you can't make your decisions based just on that. Um, that was 2013. In 2015, we decided to go back to a deacon structure. We had some more study about whether women could be deacons. We decided they could. We lost a few people, um, and we named some female deacons. In 2016, it was time for new elders. Our elders had been in place for 13 years, and they were tired. And so they said, you know what, we need to, we need to reaffirm to the extent that we're going to be here, and we need to bring in some new blood. People were happy about this, and we nominated women. And the eldership that had been there for 13 years kind of pulled a Mitch McConnell and said, you know what, we don't think that we should be making this decision. Our, we're, we're, our tenure here is too short. We want, we want to bring in some new people before that decision is made. Um, and so, in 2016, we went through the eldership process. As far as I know, I was not in the meetings. The, women, the, the women's names who were um, submitted were not considered. By, that may not be correct. Maybe they were considered and and the decision was made not to, to select women. In the end, uh, a new group of men, or additional men were added. Some, some went off. But they did that with a, with a two-year commitment to look again. And so over that two-year period, the, newish, the new group of elders did some more study, had some more meetings, talked to some more people, and in 2018, we had, we had another eldership, um, people up for eldership again, we overwhelmingly nominated women, and as far as I know, um, the Holy Spirit was there and saying, this is the time. And so in 18, we finally um, selected female elders, and that's where we're at today. So I heard somebody at the beginning of the process, I've gone way past my time, I think. I heard somebody at the beginning of the process say, I need a, you know, are you gonna give us a plan? I don't know that that's a plan that you wanna replicate. Um, <laughs> It, it, it probably wasn't really a plan so much as a very organic process. Um, it was right for our congregation, even though a lot of us, as I said, were chomping at the bit and frustrated. Um, I think there are pros and cons to laying out a plan versus sort of doing this the organic way. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the cons to this is that it's very, this process is this the argument about slippery slope is constantly coming up and every time somebody who was not wanting to see the change would say this feels like a slippery slope I wanted to say it's not a slippery slope I have an agenda <laughs> I I'm trying to get to the bottom it's I'm trying to push you down this slope <laughs> and they're not letting me <laughs> and, um, but I think you know the the process. We we maintained unity the best we could. We lost people, both directions, but in the end, I think we've come out stronger, and I think we're in a good place now. 
and we have studied this a lot. So that's my story. Hello, my name is Carl. Is it on? Yeah. Uh, tip your waitresses, by the way. Uh, my name is Carl Garrison. I'm from the Manhattan Church of Christ. Um, I've been there for about almost 30 years, since 89, so it's been a long time. And I'm the minister of um, homeless and marginal communities outreach uh, person. I also work with the men's ministry and our faith and, and race and grace ministry as well. And it's been a blessing, and I, you know, we are we're, we have a unique uh, a, a unique situation in Manhattan, and it um, and I. I am so thankful and, and feel blessed by the experience. For me, I wanted to, uh, as I've think, been thinking about this a lot, and I, you know, I wrote some things down, but I just, you know, I, and it kept changing, it kept re and reevaluating. But I, I think for us, uh, for me, as I perceive it, the seeds for the role we've taken, the movement, um, began decades before I arrived, uh, quite frankly. I think, uh, just from the stories I've heard from the members of the church, um, Going way back, I think um, from Burton Kaufman, who done the Millions from Manhattan campaign in, his, in the early 60s, I believe, 50s, I think. I recall uh, stories from Burton Kaufman telling uh, African-American members, don't leave because someone called you a racial slur, right? And, you know, and I and heard those stories a lot. And, a, and I heard uh, stories from Jim Petty in the 60s telling members the same thing. And I think um, that kind of set a, a, a context. I mean, it wasn't an organized thing. It wasn't sort of like, oh, here we go, but it sort of set seeds. And I think, you know, by the time um, Brother Tom comes on, on the scene, Brother Tom is, you know, we, are, we have a scholar residence and, and senior minister as well, so we're blessed by that. Uh, in the 70s and 80s and 90s, there is a, a, some room to expand some things, right? And, and I think that's because there has been some discussion and some movement on other things in the past. I really believe that, because otherwise, if you don't think that, if I didn't think that, uh, that there was some, some uh, context there, then I get arrogant and say, hey, wait, this is, we want to do this. Because there is, God has a providential kind of thing going on all the time, and this is inevitable. It's really, to me, as I look at it. So we, um, uh, Brother Tom began a, a series of study, uh, a lot of study, and we came to a conclusion through that study, through classes, and it took years, and that this was the, this was, um, we looked at the text, we looked at our situation culturally and in the congregation, looked at more text, looked at our situation, looked at more text, and we said, wait a minute, there's a disconnect here. Okay, now how can we bridge this gulf? So we decided to make that movement um, by having our sisters um, be in part of the, um, our worship assembly. And that's been a blessing to me. And of course, as people can walk and chew gum at the same time, I am, uh, I, I'm, I'm here because of that blessing, you know, uh, decades ago and also this, this, um, this new phase that we're in now. But I'm also troubled as well, because part of the thing is when I tell Brother Tom, I said, you know, Tom is a scholar and a mentor to, to a lot of uh, us, and, and he has helped us see things critically. And you know, and and I. But the problem with that is when you talk that way, you're critical of you <laughs> and you, Jason, and and myself. And I and I think as as I look at 
the form and how we came about this, uh, this decision to, uh, to, I struggled with the, struggled with this, the, the form and the why and the how. Because we're, we're saying that we want to allow our sisters allow to be fully citizens, full-fledged citizens in the kingdom of God that God already did in the incarnation. And I'm just thinking, okay. And I understand there's a pastoral piece of that too. You gotta work people in. And, but as I, you know, it, it, just, it just bothered me. Because the allowing piece, kind of like, and that's usually men who allowed, when, you know, and I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm a man. That bothered me. It still does, actually. And, but again, one can be blessed and be critical at the same time. And, and I think also, I'm looking at just as um, uh, Dr. Joy uh, uh, Leary DeGruy, uh, she has a book called Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome. And it talks about how uh, African-Americans can, can feel uh, residual con uh, trauma from centuries of, of slavery that, that reproduces itself in various ways over time. And I think our sisters are traumatized historically for centuries. And having a sister be a, a, a preach and being an elder doesn't remedy that. And, 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 I, and for me, it's the idea of healing. And so I think the path that we've taken is God breathed, God ordained, now the healing. Because I like to think that if we got to this point through study, through compassion, but I think the Spirit is telling us and what's next for you? And, and, and I, again, no one loves the, the, the role of study more than myself. But I'm just thinking, is that the way we settle things? Scholarship. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's beautiful. But I don't know. I'm just thinking um, God is very diverse, very creative. And probably through the Spirit has other ways of relaying truth other than scholarship. But I know that's a mess. We don't have a model for that. That's the model we have, the model we're going to use. And as we, I think part of the lesson that I'm learning from Manhattan and being there for so long, and, um, and it's a really, I mean, we've got a, I mean, it's a, we're, we have majored in grace, you know. Um, I think we've, I, I like to think that we've learned for our next area of focus, in addition to the healing for our sisters and everybody else, and by the way, the trauma, the trauma is not just for our sisters. My sons are traumatized. My, the brothers, the men, have been traumatized by, by being a part of the community that was half capacity for so long. So that trauma is, is, is equitable, it's expansive. I think one of the lessons we've, we've learned is, as hope for the, as we go forward, maybe what took four to five years may take four to five weeks or even four to five minutes from going forward for other things. Because I think um, the kingdom of heaven is at hand now. And as I look over the centuries of seeds being planted, that's a blessing. That's, I love that context. But, you know, I'm 51. Um, my sons are growing up. Uh, you know, my wife, the daughters are growing. So we, we don't have the time to devote to like years and years and years of years of study. Uh, to me, that's my opinion. And I, cause I think, and again, this is inevitable. This is, this is nothing that we, we didn't say, hey, let's do this. 
it was God's plan from the beginning. That's what I really feel. So if this is God's plan, if it's inevitable, then why do we want to wait on, on doing something that God has already ordained as being a blessing? I think that's where we're headed. Short, short and sweet, right? I'm Mark Manassi. I've been the senior minister at Culver Palm since 2004. And Amy asked uh, us to talk about um, our motivation for change, um, the meaning of the change, and the method of the change. So I'm going to talk briefly about each one. So for, for me, um, the motivation for change has been uh, kind of a biblical theology and I think about kind of the high watermark of Scripture. And I'll give a couple of resources along the way. But, but for me, this begins to be rooted in creation um, of, of men and women created in the image of God. And kind of the basic equality that's there in, in creation. Um, several years ago, I read a wonderful article by Rick Mars, the provost here. It's in essays in... Um, Women in Earliest Christianity, Volume 2. I highly recommend it. It's a wonderful scholarly treatment of the creation stories in Genesis 1 and 2. And I think um, that really provides kind of an initial frame of seeing men and women in the image of God. And I think that's an important place to start. Um, I also think of, of Jesus and how he treated women. And especially Mary Magdalene being the God-ordained uh, spokesperson of the resurrection, the first uh, evangelist. And for me, as a student at Pepperdine many years ago, uh, Stuart and Yesa Love were, were very formative in my thinking and conversation partners and thinking about Jesus and women and the gospel. And now I think of, of new creation that Christ brought through his death and resurrection, and we think in in Acts 2 about um, God's spirit being poured on, poured out to all, all flesh, men and women, young and old, and how crucial that is that we are in this new age of, of God's kingdom. Another formative uh, book I read was called Paul and the Idea of Community by Robert Fink. And he brought up really a very simple concept that I hadn't thought of, that when you look at the descriptions of gifts in the New Testament that Never are they based on gender. Um, they are always inclusive of gender. That God's spirit gives these gifts to whoever God wills for the building up of the body and for the advancement of God's kingdom. And so I think creation, Jesus, and new creation are really critical high watermarks for us to kind of build our theology around. And, um, and then I guess the last piece as I kind of briefly kind of share what my motivation was uh, an article that Chris Hudson teaches, teaches at ACU wrote years ago in, in Levin uh, from Romans 16 and what women actually did in the early church and, and there was just a, a multitude of different things that women did in the first century um, when obviously things were uh, not as they are today in terms of so I think it's important to think about what does scripture teach? What's a biblical theology of, of men and women and creation and new creation and what is God's spirit propelling us towards? So 
So that's my, my M for motivation. Um, my M for um, meaning has been that we have been so blessed at Culver Pub by the women who have served in a variety of ways, and certainly by the women who shared communion meditations on Sundays, the women who have preached. Um, we would be a diminished church without those contributions. I mean, they are, they are crucial, and, and I'm not sure we would even exist without them. And now we've added Sheila and Vicenta as shepherds, and I can't tell you how much energy they have brought to our congregation in the last nine months, energy that was needed, um, but they've also brought in gifts, brought gifts of compassion and teaching and insight and guidance and encouragement to the senior minister um, <laughs> that is greatly appreciated. And again, we would be horribly diminished without their contributions. And so not only has scripture pointed in this way, but, but our experience of what we have seen and gone through and the testimony that we're making to the community when they walk in and they see women up front serving and leading and the modeling that is for, for our kids and, um, and the testimony that is to the community. So that's my second M, that's meaning. And now the, the third M, the ugly M, which is uh, method. And, and I'm going to speak um, honestly and from the heart that this is hard stuff as a minister who was in the meetings. And, uh, you know, I've heard people discuss uh, the work of Congress and Senate in passing laws and sausage making. And um, some of the process is kind of like that. It's, it's ugly. It's not pretty. Um, Sausage probably isn't good for you to eat, um, and all of our methods probably haven't always been the healthiest, and it's difficult. And I tell you that people that we have lost in the process, I lament for about even to this day. And those of us who are called to be leaders and pastors, we are called to pastor the whole church. Not just those who agree with us. Not just those who are on the same page with us. And that is hard. It's hard when you lose your friends. And they leave. It's hard when your son loses his best friend. Who he looked up to. And these are, these are difficult things. Um, and I think we have to remember that just as all of us reach different understandings about this over periods of time, um, we have to give space for people to come to different understandings over periods of time as well. And, that, and that's hard because uh, as a leader, you feel the push and pull of people who want things that it's taken too long. Others think it's happening too fast. And, and church leaders are often caught in the middle of that. And I think as a minister, too, you know, you, you preach a great sermon or a great sermon series, and you think, after this, everyone's going to be on, on board, and, and um, they're, you know, they're not. And we have to remember that, you know, the, the switch didn't come on for, for many of us overnight. It, it took time. 
and, um, and that's hard. Um, but the blessings are worth it. Plow through, keep the conversation <coughs> going, um, to honor the gifts that are there, and, and to know that this is about God's kingdom moving forward in this world and, and reaching people who don't know Christ. And so I want to be <coughs> honest about the difficulty, um, but encouraging and prayerful. And um, I want to end on this story. I've been through uh, three, I guess, three congregations that I've worked with in different capacities that have uh, you know, struggled and, 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 and tried to make, make progress in this issue. And I've worked for three years in, in Connecticut, the Whitney Avenue Church. And um, we had some involvement of women, but we were um, trying to um, kind of take another step. And part of it was practicalities. And so we were looking at having women as, as worship leaders. Um, and we didn't have elders, and so we kind of decided by congregational meeting um, what to do. And so we were looking at the, the question about whether women could lead worship in, in front as, as our worship leader. And I remember one woman, long, long-time member in the congregation, who was of stature, uh, both in credibility, but also in size. And she stood up in the meeting and somewhat pounded on the pew and said, I don't think we should have women song leaders. I don't believe the Bible teaches this, and I'm not for it. But she said, I want you to know this is my church, and no matter what we decide, I am not going anywhere. And the first Sunday that we had a woman leading worship, she walked up to the woman and told her what a great job she did. And uh, I pray that we have more people like that and that we can be like that. So that's my M4 method. Hello. Uh, my name is Julie Short, and uh, I'm an elder at the Manhattan Church uh, since uh, a year ago this month. Uh, I am a speech and language pathologist in private practice. I work with children. I'm very interested in language and communication. I appreciate so much, Carl, what you were saying about our word choice and how we talk about this. And. Um, this is not about um, granting permission. This is not about allowing to do women to do something that maybe they're not really supposed to be doing. I really believe that, uh, first of all, about the time Carl was born was about the first time in my life that I started asking lots of questions with the Bible in front of me. And so, for our tradition and growing up studying scripture, I am extremely grateful because I've always had access to the scripture and I've always had a questioning mind and a probing mind and I've had people and parents who honored that. And I remember one of my early memories as a, as a teenager, my mom standing at the sink washing dishes and I had the Bible up in front of her and I'm saying, but mom, it says, do not quench the spirit. 
if these gifts were given, and as you said, there's no gender attached to these gifts, is it not quenching the spirit of God to say that women's voices cannot participate? Are we not strangling the church, not strangling women? Are we not strangling the church when we say, you can and you can't. And who suffers? Everyone. We all lose out. The body of Christ loses out. I've always loved the passages about the body. Are you going to take a string and tie it around your hand and pull it so tight that it rots off? Because that's what happens. That's what Carl's talking about. You know, that's the abuse. And that is something that we are in recovery. We will be in recovery for a long time because we have lost the opportunity for the spirit's gifts to be developed in so many of the people that we sit there with every Sunday and worship God with. And so what we need to be doing is studying, yes, and talking. But I think we need to be, because 50 years is a long time, okay? And maybe you're just now starting to think about it. But a lot of people have been thinking about it for a very long time. So we can also learn from those long years. And we don't all have to take 50 years. Because we now have a generation at Manhattan Church, a generation of children who have grown up, and they don't know what we're talking about when they say that women can't do something. What do you mean, Mom? A woman couldn't do that. They have no idea. They have heard preaching. They have heard praying. They have heard singing being led. They have heard testimony. They have heard scripture read. They have heard communion meditations. They have deacons for many years, and they have elders who are part of the leadership now. And, and, and as Tiffany was talking about, elders who know their names, who want to shepherd. And um, think about the children in your congregation. I want to tell this one story. It's so striking. It can be told about, about race as well, you know, in, in the doll studies from the 40s. But this happened right in our own church pew. Some friends of mine, many years ago, um, their four-year-old was sitting there. And I happened to know that they were of like mind, of many of us, that women should be included. And this was one of the first times, I think, I think Lori Bumpus got up to make an announcement about Shiloh. So just to get up and make an announcement about a camp was a really big deal. He's sitting back there, four years old, and he says, huh, Mom, that's crazy. And she said, what? There's a woman up there, he says. At four, he knew he had already internalized our culture. Our kids, whether we say it directly to them or not, know what we value, what we believe. They know what we believe about men and women 
by the way we behave, by the way we worship together. So I just want you to think about that. And think about your little ones that you're sitting in that pew with every week. There was no youth church when I was growing up. So that pew was my instruction. And I had a lot of questions. And I had a lot of things that were wonderful about growing up in that tradition. And I had wonderful mentors who allowed me to ask those questions. And I am eternally grateful for them. They are in my cloud of witnesses, men and women, both. Um, so this is a process that is uh, uh, studious. It's intellectual. It's emotional. It is soulful. It is about the very living of God within us. God with us, Emmanuel. So I think we need to take it very seriously. And um, it's not about my rights or your rights. It's about the full expression of God among us. And I think, you know, part of what, what you were saying, um, Mark, is that sometimes we just need to have a different experience. We're so afraid of what we have not yet experienced. And when you see that, wow, that really touched me. Or, wow, I never looked at it through that lens. Maybe you couldn't look at it through that lens because you weren't a woman. I can't look at things through the lens that a man looks through. So I need to hear that from the men. We need to hear each other. And when we do that, we can have so much more compassion for one another. We can really learn to understand each other's um, struggles, our, our different lived experiences um, as men and women in, in the culture that we live in right now. And we can take that gospel, that powerful, powerful story of Jesus and what he's calling us to where, as far as I know, there isn't a single thing that Jesus says about women being silent. Amen. That all I see in the gospel is Jesus turning that society upside down and using the unreliable witness as the witness of his resurrection. The unreliable witness as the woman who departs from the well and brings the town to listen to the living water. That's what I see Jesus doing. And I just really hope that we can do what Jesus would do. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Maybe I'll stop there. <laughs> Preach.